The following podcast is produced or sponsored by a community member. The content, views, and opinions expressed are those of the participants and do not reflect those of BMC or the town of Belmont. BMC welcomes your comments. Call us at 617-484-2443 or email us at access at belmontmedia.org. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Community Conversations on the BMC Podcast Network. I'm your host, Roger Colton. Another school year has begun, and I thought it was time to invite our school superintendent, John Phelan, in to talk about the state of the Belmont schools. We're going to hear a lot about a new school for grades 7 through 12 here in the next four or five weeks. And so uh, since there's a lot more happening in the schools in addition to the new school, we are not going to dwell on the, the new school today. Uh, we, I want to talk about uh, other aspects of the schools. And I have invited School Superintendent John Phelan to uh, stop over here to the studios today. Thanks for stopping over, John. Thank you, Roger, for having me. Uh, I think when I think of uh, this new school year in particular, uh, I realize there we have a couple of new principals in uh, uh, the school system. We have a new principal at, or an interim principal mm -hmm. at Belmont High and a new principal at the Wellington. Am that I right on both of those? That is correct. Um, we have uh, interim principal at Belmont High, uh, Tom Brow, uh, who has been a longtime educator in Melrose and had been doing some work in Belmont uh, part-time in consulting around evaluations and teaching and learning. And after spending some time as the uh, part-time assistant principal last year, uh, when Dan Richards uh, departed Belmont, uh, we thought it would be a great fit to have Tom come and do an interim year as we prepared for the search process for a new Belmont High School principal. And are there changes to Belmont High that you would expect with uh, the new principal? Absolutely. Even though Tom is a one-year interim principal uh, at Belmont High, he has a history with the, with the staff and with the students and the parents. And, you know, we enjoy uh, Tom's experience as someone who is a, a great communicator, great with students and staff, and building relationships with families, staff, and students. So that fits into our social-emotional learning where we want to create every school to be a place where the culture of the building is getting to know every child and family because when people feel safe uh, and build relationships, we know that learning happens at a higher level. So Tom fits that. And he'll advance those qualities uh, in his one year as interim. And is the one year uh, for Tom a, a given, or is it? Uh, uh, is there an opportunity for him to continue uh, after that one year? We would love to have Tom for 150 years. Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> Tom he uh, wants to retire. He does. He oh, he's, okay. He's, re he's retired, and he's coming out of retirement just for this one year uh, period. And his only request is, I'll gladly do anything you want, Superintendent Phelan, but please don't ask me to do a second year. Uh, <laughs> I, at some point, I have to tell my family that I'm actually retiring. So we will honor his request, and uh, we're putting out that search in late October, early November for a new principal at Belmont High. What does one look for in a, a high school principal? Uh, and let me tell you the question behind the question there, because I do want to talk about uh, uh, Allie French, uh, too. But I assume that a principal at a high school is different from being a principal at a middle school or an elementary school. I mean, you said that you you need people who creates the culture, mm -hmm. but what's the difference in a high school principal? Well, I, I think that what we look for in all principals first 
is, is someone who is uh, an educational leader as well as understands people first. We are uh, in schools, uh, our, our consumers, our, our families, our parents who place their child with us, our product is students, all of those are human beings. So we're 98% human driven. And if you don't understand and value people and know how to work with people and interact with them at a high level, uh, then, it, then being a principal is not the job for you. So we look for that basic but also complex quality and characteristic that you have to understand how people work and you have to value those relationships because on those relationships, all the other work gets built upon. So we look for that first and foremost, communicate well, understand families and students and staff and, and, and work to build relationships to, to advance the academic work. At the high school in particular, this is a big high school. It's growing in size. It's a high achieving high school. So the high school principal not only has to have all of those human uh, qualities of um, supporting people, building relationships, they have to understand how to get leaders to move forward. The directors yes. are leaders in the building. Teachers are leaders in their classroom. And they have to be truly that person that can uniquely balance um, how they're a leader and a supporter at the same time. And um, so we look for folks who can actually build relationships and build teams. Um, at Belmont High, with the population and the size of the school, you can't run that school by yourself. You have to be able to create teams of people to really engage in the work uh, thoughtfully. And, and we look for folks who can build teams. One thing that I'm hearing you say, too, and I'm changing my opinion about the job even mm -hmm. as I speak to you, which I guess is the one purpose of this show, but I'm hearing that a principal needs to be an educator first and an administrator second. I is that a fair thing to say? Um, I'm hearing you talk more about education than I sort I of pencil. I'm, or I'm looking at someone who can be a leader, and a leader means okay. sometimes being an operational leader. They have to be out shaking hands in the morning, welcoming kids, being present in classrooms, making sure that the schedule works and that the – uh, students have a place to go and the teachers have what they need. So that's the operational side of it. But I believe, and then the academic or the educational side is making sure the curriculum uh, is in place, that the standards are in place, and working with the directors who have that responsibility on behalf of the district, working with them together. But the human quality that goes threads through both of those parts of the work that happen daily is building relationships and building teams with people to do it jointly with, with your staff. Teachers are really working hard these days and they need support and guidance. Directors work hard these days. They need support and guidance. And principals uh, work hard these days. And they need to kind of move those uh, qualities through the building. And I think that so leadership is, is really the thread that, that uh, wraps through all of those parts of the job. Okay, so let's talk about the Wellington. We do, uh, the Wellington principal moved uh, out of state, if I mm -hmm. remember correctly. Mm -hmm. We're not at the Wellington anymore, but. Uh, mm -hmm. Uh, and so we have a new principal at the Wellington as well. Correct. Last year, Amy Spangler retired and moved out to the West Coast with her husband who moved his job as well. Uh, and in the uh, middle of the year, we appointed the assistant principal, Amory Stewart, as principal for the remainder of the year. Uh, we went through a search process and hired Allie Frankie, who uh, started with us in July. Um, and uh, unfortunately, Allie had uh, come down with an illness and has not been in work for the, for the start of school. Uh, so we have hired an interim principal um, to begin work on her behalf uh, while she resolves her medical issues. Okay. Uh, let's move from administration to the teachers. Mm -hmm. uh, something that we hear less about is turnover in teachers. Mm -hmm. And 
I always think of teaching as being a high-stress job, and it wouldn't surprise me uh, if there was a large turnover I in teaching. I on the other hand, Belmont's a great school system. Maybe mm. once somebody gets a job in Belmont, they want to keep it. What kind of turnover in teachers do do we have? We we hire about uh, we have about five hundred four hundred and thirty or four hundred or so teachers. You know we have about five hundred and fifty employees, but I think teachers are unit A folks in and directors. We probably have somewhere around four hundred, and we hire about the the turnover is about thirty a year. So that percentage of thirty of of uh, four hundred or so. We see people moving from Belmont to other districts mainly because they're moving locations of where they live. They may have met of a course. spouse or a partner, and they're moving to a different part of the state or a different part of the country. Um, we don't see too many folks leaving because they're not happy with the with the work that they're doing in Belmont. With that said, I would say out loud, um, teachers work very hard, and their job is a lot more complicated than it used to be 20 years ago, 10 years ago, and even five years ago. You look at an elementary teacher who has to prep for all five subjects, has the responsibility of, of engaging 25 to 22 students uh, every day, communicating with the families, being up to date with the curriculum and the nuances of the shifts in the curriculum that you get every year from the state. We're asking them to engage in social emotional learning and ensure that every child is known and that they actually scaffold that teaching and learning to every individual student's needs and then we have worries that there's some students that we have that need support learning the language of English or have supports that they need for special education purposes. And all of a sudden you're looking at a pretty complex mix of work that, that is stressful because these teachers who work so hard get into this business to help and support students. And when they have such a wide variety of child in the room that they're trying, you know, with such great effort to support, that brings, that brings stress to those, to those folks. So they are professional, they do a great job, our job as superintendents and principals and directors is to support, to support the classroom. Them. Yes. The, the most important place in a school is the classroom. Yes. The secretary at the front office supports the classroom. The custodian is supporting of the classroom. The superintendent wakes up every day to support the classroom. The teacher and the student are the two uh, most valuable folks in this whole equation. That's why we do this work. So that's, a, that's the job that we do every day. Now, last year I, I had a podcast, and uh, can I assume that uh, – uh, that you know most of the teachers, all of the teachers? Most, but not all. In my old district, I was there for 18 years, and I would say I knew almost every single individual teacher. But in Belmont, I'm getting there. But I okay. do know the person that you might be referring to. Okay, yes. I had Nicole Pond yes. uh, on as a podcast guest. Mm -hmm. And uh, I may have talked to you about this before, but my uh, podcast with Nicole, uh, with Ms. Pond, mm -hmm. was perhaps the most listened to and most commented on podcasts mm -hmm. that I've done in the the three years that I've been doing this. Uh, That's no surprise. I am a huge Nicole Pond fan. Uh, you would think, related to the last question, that Nicole, Con, Nicole Pond would be the most relaxed and has the best job in the world because she teaches art. Well, she does have the best job in the world, and she loves her job, and that's clear by when you speak with her. But she has a hard job. That doesn't mean it's not a hard job, and she does it flawlessly. And I benefit by her coming by my office once a month to put artwork up uh, in the conference room at the superintendent's Of course, building. I've seen so that. So I've enjoyed uh, meeting with Nicole over the period of uh, four to five years and the other art teachers and being in the classrooms. And uh, I can't thank folks like Nicole enough for not only being great teachers with children, but when you're in the arts, whether it's music or art uh, teacher, you find yourself doing a lot more community events and being involved in things that are outside the school 
And uh, she is someone that's a great example of someone that extends the learning to students in the community, even outside the classroom and outside the school. How do you find a Nicole Pond? Or, or does it just happen? You, you hire somebody and, and they happen to turn into uh, a Nicole? Or well, do you I have a notion when you hire somebody that they're going to be a superstar? The, I, I think superstars stick out pretty quick when you look to hire. You can get a sense of who they are by what uh, answers they provide to some of the questions. And the questions just aren't all about what's the standards for art in grade three or what are the standards in art for grade four. It's really about why are you passionate about this work? Uh, what's meaningful to children at the age that you'll be working with them? And how do you feel about the work you do with your, with your peers and colleagues in your school? And what drives you every day to get up and get out of bed and go to the, to the butler or go to the school that you work in? And when you get a sense of that passion, um, that's where you know that that's the person that you'd like to hire. So you do see a lot of that. But it has to be the passion first, and you have to work with people who put children first. And then the rest of it can work out from there. And passion is something that clearly came across in her. Absolutely. I hope I'm not embarrassing her in the community. I know. I think that she's a wonderful teacher. I'm, I'm thankful that I know her and I've ex and had great conversations with her. And uh, I think that she's a great person to uh, put out there as an example of why Belmont teachers are great. One of the things that worries me uh, by the Nicole Ponds uh, of the world is uh, – and I say worry with sort of quote marks mm -hmm. around it. It's my concern with uh, uh, people I know at the high school, uh, Ezra Flam and Arto. Mm -hmm. uh, how do you ensure that the program is sound and isn't built around mm -hmm. a, uh, a particular individual? Mm -hmm. did, did that question make sense? Yeah, I, I know exactly what you mean. And so if Ezra leaves, the, mm -hmm. the theater program needs to continue. If Nicole leaves, leaves, the art program needs to continue. That's correct. And so, you know, you, you pick two all-stars. So you have an all-star in Ezra Flam. He is probably one of the best people in the state uh, as a teacher of drama, and we're so happy to have him, and Nicole is similar. One of the strengths that Ardo uh, Asadorian and our directors have in working with all-stars like Ezra and Nicole, is that the program that we're building should really be able to su be sustained over time. Similar to the aggregate conversation about a superintendent, we need to build systems that work, not just work because you have really good people in yes, those systems. Yes. So um, when you work with Ezra, and we have worked with him to shift some classes, not just after school, but now he works during the day. We have yes. uh, a drama and, and uh, theater classes during the day and after school. You know, that's systematically good for the program. So if Ezra does happen to leave and want to move to New York City or Florida or California to be a star somewhere else in the world, that those systems that he has helped build with his input and feedback and Otto has helped lead uh, in his role as director and we have helped support at the district, you would hope that someone would come in after and say, wow, what a great system and programmatic opportunity I have, and you would be able to recruit another all-star. So you build program around great people. Great people help fuel the excitement around that program, but we're doing both things at the same time. Um, I would never want to see an Ezra Flam leave or a Nicole Pond leave. So the other thing you do is when you have an all-star, um, you know, if you have a great singer, you, you, you want to make sure you give them the appropriate space to sing and, 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 be, and be that star. So we have built supports around them and try to make their work-life day uh, pleasant, and, and we listen to their feedback, and we – try to treat everybody with respect and with professional uh, 
you know, day-to-day environment that they can work in and that they like to come to work. Now, speaking of superstars or all-stars, uh, we, we lost one in Belmont last year, John McClellan. Yes. Uh, uh, retired after mm-hmm. not years but decades uh, doing the Saturday morning mm-hmm. uh, music. What's your opinion from your position of what's going on in the music program? I, this is a, a cha- This is exactly the challenge you're Correct. talking about this year. So we, um, John McClellan was a longstanding uh, icon in the town for many years. Music families have just uh, thoroughly uh, enjoyed and benefited by his expertise. Ardo, uh, in anticipation of that uh, retirement, uh, really recruited. Uh, we have an experienced teacher that took his place. Uh, it's another example of the perfect example of if you have a quality program, you will have an experienced educator from another community want to be in that program. Yes. Because you've built a program. You haven't just built someone who's really good at it, and then it would fall apart around, around his leaving. So we have an experienced educator who came in who knew uh, the reputation of Belmont and wanted to be in that position because the program was so rich. Um, the Saturday morning program uh, was almost something that was so hard to duplicate that we actually brought in Powers Music School and had built a relationship <laughs> with them because we felt we needed to, to, uh, to get some assistance to fill that void and still maintain that level of quality and uh, community that is the Saturday Music School. So we believe that we've been able to move forward in, in John's absence, but it was because the program that he built over time was not just built around him, but it was built around what's good for kids and what's good for the program. Uh, One of the things that I hear on occasion, uh, I'm going to ask you about the other end of the spectrum perhaps, but one of the things I hear on occasion from parents is a concern about teaching technology Mm -hmm. in the Belmont Public Schools. Mm -hmm. uh, Do you have, well, of course you have opinions. Mm -hmm. What's your opinion on how well... uh, uh, the Belmont Public Schools teach technology. Well, teaching technology and utilizing. I don't even technology. know if that's the. W- yeah, so we'll we'll say I will say out loud that technology is a great tool, one tool that is used by our staff and educators and our students. At the high school, it means an iPad for every child, which really gives them the power in their hands to access content that c- then can be brought to them individually or to a small group or to a classroom. To then you can leverage that to healthy conversations about analysis, comparison, what did you learn from uh, what happened in 1890 versus 1940 versus 1980. You don't have to be the, the, um, the provider of content as a teacher anymore. What you really have to be is a uh, facilitator of the learning amongst teacher-to-teacher work, yes. teacher-to-student work, and student-to-student work. We feel technology is a g- nice lever in that, in that equation of what good teaching and learning looks like. Students can look up the information themselves. We don't need to tell them uh, about the War of 1812. They can kind of get that. What we're asking them to do is something a higher level objective is, what did you learn or what was learned from the War of 1812? How does it compare to something that happened at another time in the world? And what can we gain from that now when we live in 2018? So that higher level objective and higher level learning um, happens in our schools every day. And technology allows us to kind of do that a little bit. Um, at the elementary and middle school level, uh, we're teaching students not only how to use the technology, but also how to use it responsibly. What's, what are you reading and what are you looking at and, and, and uh, researching? And is it real? Is it, wor- is it worthy uh, academic uh, information or worthy and factual information? 
uh, every ninth grader takes a class with our media center person um, to actually walk through uh, and navigate the web to make sure that their sources are accurate and worthwhile sources. And so we feel like we're trying to scaffold the use of technology through the grades um, and put technology in a place where it belongs. It's certainly not the most important thing every day. The teacher and the student are the most important thing every day. Um, but I think the technology can help navigate the learning for students as well. A and does it fall to the schools to teach students when to put the technology down? I mean, it seems like that's a parental responsibility too. You but know, is there a yeah. role for the schools there? I, I, I don't know the answer to I, that I question. Think, I think that uh, as a parent of five children, I know that I work hard at having my children put their technology down and, and have some expectations for that during the day and on the weekends and after school. Um, I don't. I think at the school level, during the school day, the teachers work hard at having them put it down when it's not part of the tool of that they're using. So if we're going to talk together in a group and we need to be present in a conversation with each other, then phone's down, phone's over here. And what you see actually at the high school is these um, cases that they hang over the doors that have pockets. So when the students come in, they put their phones in the pockets it, uh -huh. so they can sit and, and be distraction-free when, in fact, they don't need that as a research tool and they need to have more human contact with teachers or their fellow students. So um, in, in terms of the life of how they navigate technology in and around their, their day and night and weekend, I think parents have a role in that as well. So of course, of course. Well, I, I said that we weren't going to dwell on the high school, mm. but one of the concerns that I think we need to talk about is the fact that, I as I've heard you talk about before, uh, enrollment in the schools mm -hmm. is uh, is expanding, mm -hmm. is rapidly expanding, yes. and we are out of space. Uh, can you talk about uh, the concerns about crowding in the schools? Sure. So we're fortunate enough over the last few years to be able to uh, use modular classrooms at the high school because we've been short of space at the high school. Two years ago, we added modules at the Chenery Middle School. We're definitely out of space at the Chenery. And this past year, the town was generous enough to provide us modular space at the Burbank. So not only have we exhausted every interior square foot, we have uh, the director's office at the Chenery is a closet. It's not a room. It never has been a room. It's a closet. We have students learning in spaces that aren't really uh, ideal teaching and learning spaces. So then we go outside the footprint of the building to modulars because the population has been increasing. Those measures have been our short-term goals. How can we increase the effectiveness of the footprint that we have before we ask the town for more money for modulars and then go to modulars if needed, and we've done that. The town has been very responsive, and we're thankful for that, the Capital Committee and the Warrant Committee uh, and all the town officials. Now we're at that point that in parallel to that short-term planning, the long-term goal was to say, how can we best uh, position the town within its schools to have a capacity to support the ongoing enrollment that we see forecasted? That is the 7 through 12 project with the Belmont High School Building Committee, and, and that started with a 2015 application. First thing I did when I got here was rewrite the application with a few folks. Uh, it was accepted, and in, in January of 2016, we got an application to the state, and that has just been uh, officially uh, unanimously voted by the MSBA, the Massachusetts School Building Authority, to uh, support <coughs> the 7 through 12 project that was supported by the Board of Selectmen and the School Committee and um, we believe that adding that capacity by providing that 7 through 12 new building that takes the pressure off the enrollment issues at the middle school and high school and then allows us to have a different setting at the middle school, the current Chenery, 
and relieve pressure at the elementaries as well is a long-term investment in the town's assets and, and in the town's schools. And so what I just heard you say is that the new 7 through 12 school doesn't affect just the set grades 7 through 12 right. because it will free up space at the Chenery, which in turn frees up space at the uh, four, four, elementaries. That uh, is four elementary schools. So when we applied to the state, we applied for 9 through 12 school, and as, as the process became uh, involved with the state, we let them know that our enrollment was not only a concern at the high school, but it was a, a, a K-12 concern. And the state partnered with us and said, what, what is your real challenge? Uh, our real challenge is we, the high school we feel is run down and we need better learning space for kids at the high school level, but we have this enrollment thing that's K to 12, and they agreed to entertain different options. And so we put those options in front of the town. The town chose 7 through 12, which I feel is the best solution, and the state partnered with us. So we're really getting two schools out of one project with this 7 through 12 project. And at the risk of putting words in your mouth, so tell me if I'm wrong, mm -hmm. uh, doing a 7 through 12 school is not simply an adequate solution. It is the uh, best solution. It, I, I believe it's the best solution, not only in the 7 through 12 um, configuration, an exciting configuration for me academically and as a, as a parent and an educator, because we're think about that eighth grade jump. You walked into a pretty tightly run Mike McAllister middle school, and then you go up to a high school that has a little more independence, a little more flexibility, and you're navigating a very different day. Having those seventh and eighth graders in their own section of that new building, in the team concept that's currently at the Chenery, separated from the nine through 12 folks, but able to use all the brand new space and all the amenities of a new school, when they walk from eighth grade to ninth grade in a couple of years, that step is gonna be a small step. There's gonna be a very little transitional difficulty for yes. that young person to navigate the high school because they're already there. Um, so that, that kind of transition, I think, is really, really important for folks to understand. And then you think about if we do a K-3 to school at the, three el at the four elementaries, the Chenery will be an upper, upper, upper elementary school. Think about how great it is to have the, a four, five, six school. Our fifth graders right now are in school with eighth graders. And if you ask a parent, does a fifth grader have more in common with an eighth grader or a fourth, fourth grader? Fourth grader, yeah. You would say a fourth grader. So you have a four, five, six school. That is the best age. And if I could work in any building in this district in the next 10 years, it'd be at the four, five, six school. That is the perfect age to really build culture, build confidence, create great learning environment uh, in a smaller, more elementary school version and then have them go to that 7-8 and do that middle school version. So we're really excited about the new configuration from a social-emotional standpoint, from an academic standpoint, and we think it's great for the town. That's great. Let's uh, change topics to uh, a somewhat somber topic. Uh, mm -hmm. You may have uh, uh, heard this uh, summer. Are you around during the summer? I uh, work you all have, summer, yeah. You work all summer. So we, uh, we had a pedestrian death Correct. in... Uh, uh, Belmont this summer, mm -hmm. and there were concerns over p uh, pedestrian safety mm -hmm. during drop-off and uh, pickup at the elementary schools mm -hmm. last year, I remember. Mm -hmm. Can uh, can you tell us about pedestrian safety, at, uh, mm -hmm. your take on pedestrian mm -hmm. safety at the schools the now? Uh, yes, the school, um, the school principals work very hard at communicating the expectations for how students can arrive safely and how they can depart or at dismissal leave the school site safely. And it looks a little different at every school, but the general principles are, as a former middle school principal, try to keep your buses in one space, your drop off and pick up with cars in another space, and your walkers and your bikers 
on another space because you have to create clean and safe pathways oh, interesting. for everybody to get to school. So yes. I'll take the Burbank as an example. We were worried about the Burbank because we're adding modules, we're adding more students, which means potentially more traffic. Uh, at the Burbank on Gale Road behind the school, we have all the cars come and go. The buses come in the front and the students will come up the side. So we're creating safe pathways to school for however you get to school. Um, we encourage walking and biking to school this morning. Uh, even though I was out at a uh, 7 through 12 building meeting last night, uh, I was at Payson Road and Common Street this morning for International Walk to School Day uh, to the Wellington. So uh, encouraging folks to walk to school is really important. Um, so a lot of our elementary schools, and we're getting into the middle school where we're bringing safe routes to school and trying to get them involved in our schools. And actually tomorrow, uh, today is Wednesday, so Friday morning I have a meeting with Walk Boston, which is a uh, nonprofit group that helps schools and towns um, create safe pathways for their children to not only get to school but maybe get to buses so they can be identified for parents. Um, so I'll have that meeting on Friday. So, you know, this is an ongoing challenge when you have a growing population and you have, you know, a, a town that is between where folks live and where folks want to go where folks living in towns outside of Belmont, but they want to go through Belmont to get to Cambridge and Boston. Uh, this yes. isn't traffic that is brought upon by just the uh, 24,000 folks that yeah. live in the town. This is a, uh, a regional challenge that we are in the middle of. And what we have to do on the school side is make sure that uh, the, the school space in the, in the immediate area surrounding our schools are safe for our families to get to school. That's great. Thanks. We are out of time. We have so uh, many more questions. I have a zillion questions that I could ask you, and I do look forward to uh, having you back each year. If uh, I think it's good for uh, parents, and I think it's good for the community to hear what your opinion is about what's going on in the schools at so the beginning of I each year. I will gladly come back, and if you don't have to wait a year, I can come back in the spring or whenever you want. I find this to be a great vehicle to, uh, to get the word about all the good things that are happening in the Belmont schools. And to your point, it's not just the buildings. That those are all the great things, it's, but it's the things that are going on inside them. So we're excited about all of it. So thank you for having me. Uh, thank you for stopping over. John Phelan, uh, school superintendent for the Belmont Public Schools. I uh, appreciate him taking time out of uh, what's an extraordinarily busy uh, schedule. Uh, I appreciate uh, and thank you, the listeners, for tuning in to Community Conversations. You've been listening to Community Conversations. You can stream community conversations online at the BMC podcast network at belmontmedia.org and you can also find community conversations on the BMC podcast network on iTunes. Thanks for listening. This is Community Conversations. I'm your host Roger Colton. I will talk to you again next time.